Acts chapter 3, verse 17 through 26. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. May this word of the Lord unite us as a church and make us bold as missionaries. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I'm Luke. I'm one of the pastors and part of our teaching team here, and As Josh said, we're going to look at Acts 3 today. Uh, Before we do, let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. As we sang just a moment ago, thank you that you're all that we need. Lord, we don't thank you enough, uh, but everything we have is from you, and you uphold all things by the word of your power, not the least of which is our life and our breath and everything else. And so we thank you for that, and we ask you, Lord, to speak now through your word. God, give us ears to hear, make, the, the, make our hearts receptive to what you want to say to us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, her heart had broken nearly 40 years before, and it felt shriveled and small ever since. You know, back then, her hopes were pretty modest. She just really, really wanted to have a son. Someone to carry on the family name. Someone to help care for her and her husband as they age. Someone to look after and protect the sisters when they got older. So when she got pregnant, her friends came to her and they said, are you praying that it's a son? She said, of course I'm praying it's a son. But that's in God's hands. God knows what it will be. And, and most of all, I'm praying that he'll just be or it will be healthy. Well, when the baby finally came, when he arrived, she knew that her prayers had been answered. Both of her prayers had been answered because he was not only a boy, but he was healthy. He had a deep, strong cry right when he came out and 10 fingers and 10 toes. He ate well and he slept well. He grew. A few months later, he was rolling over. But a few months after that, she started to wonder, had God really answered both of her prayers? She had her son, but but was he really healthy? He'd done everything else so quickly. He'd done everything else so well. Why couldn't he stand? You know, his strong hands would grip her fingers as she would try to kind of prop him up. But every time, his weak ankles would just collapse into a pile on the floor, and he couldn't stand, and he couldn't walk. 
Weeks went by, and then months went by, and then years went by. Forty years went by, and he still couldn't stand, and he still couldn't walk. And it breaks your heart as a mom to look into the eyes of your little boy when all he wants to do is go run out in the street and play with his friends or with his cousins. It's devastating when you hear the taunts and the names that the neighborhood kids call him behind his back when they think he can't hear. But there were no games in the street. There were no real plans that he could ever live on his own or take care of himself. There was no hope that there would be a wedding someday. And worst of all, 40 years later, there was no real hope at all. There was a song that her mother had sang to her. She was a when she was a young Jewish girl, a song from the prophet Isaiah. And it was a song she loved when she was a kid, but at this point in her life, when she would lay in bed and the words would come back, it just felt cruel, it felt bitter. The words of Isaiah which said that the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the lame man will leap like a deer. That's sweet and cute and fun when you're a kid, but when you're a woman whose lame son sits day after day after day. It just breaks your heart. Well, she was making supper one night, like she often did, in the, kind of the early evening, and a friend all of a sudden burst through the doors of her home, out of breath, and said, something's happened at the temple. You've got to get there. Something's happened. Panic struck her, the temple the temple. That's where he is every day. He could never go in the temple because of his deformity. His deformity meant he could never go in. He just had to sit on the outside by the gate and he would sit there and he would beg and he would ask people for money. And that's where he was every day. This was the only way he could survive. This was the only way he could live. And so panic struck her and she asked her friend, is, is he okay? Is everything okay? And a slow smile broke across her friend's face. Yeah, everything's okay, but you're going to want to see this. So they burst out of the house. And Redemption Gateway, I want to tell you this morning that you're going to want to see this too. What happened to her boy is what we read about in the beginning of Acts chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, look at Acts chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. And as you turn there, I want to ask us this morning, what if you've given up, but God hasn't? What if you've lost hope, but God isn't done with you yet? What if God wants more for you than you want for yourself? What if God wants to do far more abundantly beyond all that you've asked and all that you've thought? That's something that we're going to see takes place in this story. So let's pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Uh, Peter and John, those are two of the key leaders of this early church that we've been seeing throughout this book of Acts. In chapter two, uh, we saw that the Spirit of God poured out on these disciples who were praying, about 120 so disciples, and they began to speak in languages they had never learned to speak the mighty works of God. And there was a sound like a rushing wind, and all of these people ran together and said, what is this, what is happening, what's going on? And Peter stood up and told people, the gospel, the good news of how they had killed Jesus, but God had raised him. He tells them to repent and their sins can be forgiven. And it says that about 3,000 people 
responded to that message. And the end of chapter two, this is what we looked at last week, this, this new baby infant church is practicing. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're, they're learning. What is, what is God saying to his people? They're devoted to uh, the fellowship, the life that they had together in common. They're devoted to the breaking of bread in Acts 2.42 and to the prayers. They're meeting in the temple, they're gathering in homes, the life together they have is rich and beautiful and sweet. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And now, Peter and John, verse 1, were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now the ninth hour, uh, you may have a footnote there in your ESV text or whatever Bible you're using that says that's about 3 p.m. So they're going up in the um, kind of late afternoon and they're going up to pray. And it says in verse 2, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. The man that they saw there was lame, it says, from birth. He had never walked, he had never stood. And he was never allowed into the temple. The the Old Testament law prohibited people who had some sort of deformity or sickness or ongoing disability like that to enter into the temple. And so there he sits outside the temple, outside the presence of God. And he's there, how often does it say, verse 2? Daily. He's dependent on other people. We don't know if it's family members or friends or who it is, but somebody has to carry him there and put him there every day to ask for alms, to ask for uh, money. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Some of you work in downtown Phoenix or you work in parts of Tempe or you work in places where kind of nearby where you work, there are people, people who are experiencing homelessness. And, and you, if you've ever been on a college campus or some of these places, you st- realize you start to recognize these people after a while. Uh, you know, oh, that's the guy with the green bike. Oh, that's the guy with this sign. Oh, that's the guy that always says this after you give him something. Right? You start to recognize these people. They become a normal part of what you see and experience. And that's what this guy had become. He was there every day. So Peter and John, they're going in. He says, can I have something? Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. I find this just incredibly human. Right, the man is probably looking down, right, ashamed of his situation, looking down. And, and just like Jesus, who would often go the extra step, he wouldn't just heal the man with the, with the leprosy, he would touch the man with the leprosy who hadn't been touched in years. He would extend that extra connection, that extra human love and touch. And so they say, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. He's asked for money. He thinks he's going to get money. Oh, great. Someone's actually going to not reject me. They're going to actually give me something. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. If you have a Bible that you write in, circle the word raise. That's going to be a key word in this passage. If you have a phone, I don't know, just 
press the word, or I don't know whatever you're supposed to do to make that feel important. But he raised him up immediately, and his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, I don't know your particular views about the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, about tongues and prophecy and healing and those sorts of things, but whatever your views are, uh, my guess is that if you think there's such thing as a gift of healing, it's different than what you read here. Right, my experience in church has been if somebody, like they pray for 10 sick people and seven of them get better, we go, they have the gift of healing. But notice, Peter doesn't say, uh, dear Lord, we please ask you. You could say no, but we hope you will accept our prayer. And if it's your will, and would you heal this man? He doesn't do that. What does he do? He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up. This is power. This is authority. This is, whoa, something amazing is happening here. And that power of Jesus spoken through Peter makes it where the guy is definitively healed, right? Look at verse 8. And leaping up, look at all the, the active words here. And leaping up as he stood, he, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple. He'd been excluded from the temple his whole life. Now he could finally go into the temple. He could finally go where the presence of God was. Walking and leaping and praising God. <laughs> so, so get this. He's not like Bambi. <laughs> right? He's not, he's not like your little toddler learning to walk. Who, you know, they take half a step and then they fall and you go, oh, that's so good. He is leaping. He's jumping. He's doing all these things he's never been able to do. It is absolutely amazing. Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They're like, wait, is that that guy with the bike? What? Right, some of them are probably like, I always thought he was fine, you know, like. <laughs> but apparently, most of them knew he really had this disability because it says, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Right, this is the kind of thing people rush home and say, you've got to come see this. Something's happened. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people Utterly astounded, that word utterly astounded only appears in the New Testament here. It's this like, wow, 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 astounded. When he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. It's interesting how similar this story is to Acts 2. In Acts 2, there's this mighty, powerful work of God allowing people to declare the mighty works of God in another language. There's the rushing mighty wind and the tongues of fire, and people run to go, what happened? And then Peter stands up and says, here's what happened. That's the same thing here. A mighty work of God happens. This man is healed. The crowd rushes to see what's going on, and Peter is going to preach again. And so the rest of this chapter is Peter's second big sermon. The first one was in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. This is the second one. This is the second time. And I need to say that this sermon today sets up the sermon next week. So this is part one. 
Next week is part two. Because here today, what we have is this man who was born lame is healed powerfully, and Peter explains it. Acts 4, where we'll go next week, part two, is going to be the religious leaders investigating what happened and trying to get Peter and John to knock it off. So come next week, and we'll talk about that. How, how do we face the kind of opposition and resistance to what God is doing? It's the first time we start to really see that in the book of Acts, and so that'll be next week. But for today, in verses 11 to 26, Peter speaks. He says, here's what you need to know. And here's my summary of his message. There's a lot of incredible stuff in this that we could unpack, but here's here's a summary of it. Peter essentially says, Jesus offers resurrection, refreshment, and restoration. But he expects something too. This is Peter's message. Jesus offers you resurrection, refreshment, and restoration, but he expects something too. So here's what I want to do is I want to just kind of walk through what Peter says. I'll make some comments about it along the way. And then after we've looked at it, we, we want to kind of zoom in on this idea that Jesus, offers, uh, that Jesus offers resurrection, refreshment, and restoration, and then what he expects. Okay, so here's what Peter says beginning in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he saw these people running together, he addressed the people. Now, now, one more thing before we get into it. The setting here is important. Peter is in the temple. And, and I, I should have put a picture in here, but the way the temple worked is there was a, a smaller building kind of in the middle and a big courtyard. And at the end of one of these courtyards, what was called Solomon's Portico, and that's apparently kind of at one end, it's like a football field size thing, it's really, really big. Uh, not the Solomon's portico, but the whole courtyard. And they're at this one end, and there's lots and lots of people. Um, it says actually in the next chapter that another few thousand people put their faith in Christ as a result of this. So there are lots of people around here. And, and get this, Peter is speaking to Jews. He's speaking to people who would be familiar with the Old Testament story, who were devout in their religion. He's not talking to kind of wild, crazy Uh, pagan, Gentile-type people. He's talking to religious, temple-attending Jews. So that informs how he speaks to them. He says, verse 12, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Now get this, Peter's not saying, hey, what's the big deal? Because it's obvious this is a big deal. What he's saying is, hey, 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 Why are you looking at us like we're powerful? We didn't do this. We don't have the power. We don't have the piety. We don't have the holiness to be able to make a man born lame to to rise and leap and praise God. We don't have that power. Don't look at us as though this is from us. Here's the one you need to look to, verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, The God of our fathers, that's the God that they had come to the temple to worship. And Peter says, hey, you came to the temple to worship him. Let me tell you what he's done. That God glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Peter says, hey, you all remember what happened about six weeks ago, don't you? You remember this Jesus of Nazareth 
who had been traveling and he'd kind of taken the whole region by storm. You remember that he'd come into the temple and he'd turned over the tables of the money changers. You remember the stories about him making water into wine. You remember the stories about him feeding thousands and healing the blind and raising the dead. You've heard those stories, you remember? Listen, he was God's servant. And you killed him. You encouraged Pilate, the Roman governor, to put him to death. And even when Pilate had said, hey, I don't find any guilt in this guy. I don't think this Jesus did anything. You said, well, then give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was, it said there, a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. He would be like a jihadist trying to lead a revolutionary movement. So, so Peter's saying, hey, you remember how you guys asked for jihadi John? And you turn Jesus over to be crucified? You remember that? Verse 15, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. He says, hey, here's what happened. The Jesus that you killed has been raised. And now that power is what raised this man. Verse 16, and his name, Jesus' name, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Listen, guys, he's saying, this isn't me. This isn't us. We're not powerful. But Jesus who rose from the dead is. Verse 17, he says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Saying, I know you didn't really know what you were doing. You wouldn't have killed him if you thought he was God's Messiah, God's anointed, God's servant, but you acted in ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. Remember when Jesus on the cross, if you've heard this story, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Peter says, hey, you were ignorant. You didn't know better, but I'm going to help you know better. Verse 8. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Listen, guys, this, this was predicted by the prophets, Peter's saying. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He says, listen, I know you were ignorant. I know you didn't know better. But now I'm telling you the truth. Jesus has risen from the dead. And the prophets predicted that it would happen. And so now you need to repent. Repent means to turn around, to have a total change of heart, change of mindset. Now get this, he's talking to good people, good, religious, devout people. And still he tells them, you need to repent. Your mindset is all backwards. You need to see Jesus, not as somebody who just, hey, we can discard him. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Jesus is the one the prophets have predicted. Repent, turn back. The times of refreshing may come. And then he quotes from a few of the scriptures that they would have been very familiar with from the Torah, from the law. He quotes from Deuteronomy 18 in verse 22. 
Here's what he says. Peter says, Moses said, you guys remember Moses? You've read his book. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Peter says, hey guys, guys, you're familiar with the Old Testament. You're especially familiar because you've been anticipating the prophet who would be like Moses. Moses said, there will be a prophet of my kind of stature. And when he comes, better listen to him. Peter's saying, that was Jesus. Listen up. Verse 24, and all the prophets who've spoken from Samuel and from those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, now he quotes Genesis 12, which every Jew would have known this story, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He says, hey guys, you remember the story. Now you may be here today and you don't know the story, but his audience would have known the story. You remember how God picked Israel, right? He picked Abraham. A man who was along in years, he and his wife had never been able to have children. He says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. And through you, through your offspring that you can't even imagine that you could have someday, through your offspring, you are going to bless the whole world. Do you hear what Peter's saying? Peter's saying Jesus is that offspring. Jesus is that one that you've been looking for, that you've been waiting for. And this blessing is now available. Verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you. Yes, this is for the whole world. This is for the whole nations. But he sent him to you, you Israelites, you in the temple, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. There's his message. Jesus offers resurrection and refreshment and restoration, but he expects something too. Jesus, we hit this, but Jesus, who is he? He's the holy and righteous one, it said in verse 14. That's a title you would only call God that. Only God is truly holy, the holy and righteous one. That's a, that's a divine title. Verse 15, another divine title. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Isn't that just, I don't know if Peter was a, like a poet, but that's poetic. You killed the author of life who God raised from the dead. I just think that's amazing. Who's the author of life? Who's the one that gives life and breath and everything? It's God. He's saying, you've killed God. You've killed the holy and righteous one. The author of life. He's the prophet from Deuteronomy 18, and he's the offspring, the seed of Abraham in Genesis 12. That's who Jesus is. He says, we didn't make this guy better. We didn't heal him. Jesus did. Jesus raised him. And Jesus didn't just raise him, but Jesus also offers you resurrection. This is what Jesus offers. Jesus offers resurrection. It's interesting, at the beginning of this uh, chapter, you see the disciples, and they, they appear to be imitating what they've seen in Jesus. Jesus had for years, they'd been walking around with him, and Jesus would encounter people like this, and Jesus would say, hey, look at me, and he, he would heal them, right? They're, they're now imitating their Lord. Uh, a few weeks ago, Molly and I went on a date, and uh, my parents were kind enough to babysit for us, and 
Uh, so we went out, and then at the end of the date, we got home, and we picked up our kids, and we put Mary in the car seat and strapped her in, and she kind of turned her head very inquisitively and said, you go on hot date? <laughs> we said, actually, we did go on a hot date. <laughs> yes, we did. Right? She, and, and, and then we're going, where did she pick that up? Right? So one of us must have said, hey, we're going on a hot date, you know, and, and you don't even think she noticed, and she picked it up. Right? She's imitating her parents. She's listening to everything we say. Pray for us. <laughs> and the apostles have been spending time with Jesus, and now they're imitating him. They're doing what he taught them to do. The reason that matters is because Jesus' miracles, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus' miracles were never just about a display of raw power. Jesus is never going, oh yeah, well let me show you what I can do. He's not doing that. His his miracles always have a purpose. They have a point. They're trying to teach something. They're trying to illustrate something. And, And this one is no different. Because the key word in this whole chapter is raised raised look at it Uh, in verse 6 in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk verse 7 and he took him by the right hand and raised him up and then when Peter's explaining this he uses the same word in verse 15 and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead Verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. Here's here's what God's doing. God is saying, this lame man, born with the inability to walk, he basically was like a dead man. Couldn't care for himself. Couldn't take care of his needs. Couldn't go into the temple to have a life with God. He's dead. And he was raised. He was raised as a picture of how Jesus was raised. Just like Jesus was raised from the dead, this man is raised from the dead of his circumstance into a new life with God because Jesus offers resurrection. God is in the raising business. Get this. God is not just applying a fresh coat of paint to our lives. No, for God, it's demo day. Any of you fans of uh, Fixer Upper on HGTV? We we like that show, right? And and Chip Gaines is this, you know, really funny guy, and at least he thinks he is. And, uh, and, And his favorite day is demo day, right? Where he gets out the sledgehammer and he knocks down the walls. And you're like, oh my gosh. And, and, and what happens is, by the time he's finished rebuilding it, you look at before and after and you go, that's not even the same house. He doesn't just paint the old house cooler colors. He demolishes it and resurrects it. That's what God does. God is in the raising business. He's not just trying to take your kind of godless life and apply a nicer coat of paint to it. He wants you to be, the word is, born again. Now, I know that some of you who have been in church, you've heard that phrase, you know what it means. Some of you have not heard that phrase, and you're like, uh-oh, born again? Am I, are these people with a born again? I remember, being, I remember one time doing a, kind of an evangelism project with uh, 
number of people in Kansas City, and uh, we're kind of walking through the streets and surveying people and talking to them about the Lord, and I remember this guy we talked to said, you one of them born-agains? <laughs> said, actually, yeah, yeah. He said, well, I make mincemeat out of born-agains. I said, oh, that's great. Let's talk, you know, so it was a great conversation. But, but there are a lot of people who go, born-agains, I around them. And so maybe you don't understand the phrase, and that's okay if you don't understand it. Here's where it comes from. It comes from John chapter 3, where Jesus told a religious leader that unless he was born again, he could never enter the kingdom of God. A religious leader saying, hey, you can't just apply a fresh coat of paint to your life. You need to be born again. You need a whole new thing. You need a whole new resurrection. That's what Jesus offers, is this picture of this man is being raised is a picture of what happens to us. Get this, this man was just asking, hey, could I have some money? Could I, could I have some change? And he got a whole new life. He could work. He could enter the temple. He could care for himself. He could go home to the mother who had sacrificed so much for him and he could begin to care for her in her old age. He had a whole new life because Jesus offers resurrection. Jesus also offers refreshment. Not just resurrection, but refreshment. Look at what it says beginning in verse 19. In verse 19 it says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What do we think will refresh us? Or someone came to you and said, hey, my goal is for the next two weeks for you to experience refreshment. And whatever you want, you have it. What would be on our list? We go, okay, I need the beach. Uh, or I need mountains and big trees. Or uh, maybe, maybe a place to hike or a place to explore. Oh, oh, here it is, here it is. Sleep. <laughs> I'd be able to sleep 13 hours a night. Oh, man, that, I'd be so refreshed. And, and maybe, just maybe, eventually after we were like a good way down our list, we might go, oh, yeah. And I want to spend some time with the Lord. But if we're honest, if I'm honest, that probably wouldn't be the first thing I'd think of. And yet, what does Peter say? He says, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Listen, we need refreshment. We are a tired and ragged society and church and people, and we need refreshment. And, and because God is gracious and good, and everything that he makes is part of his good creation, the beach and the mountains and good food and sleep, those are all things God uses to refresh us. Those are wonderful gifts. But the deepest refreshment comes from the presence of the Lord, from being near God. And that's what this man had experienced. He'd never been able to come into the presence of the Lord. He'd only had to stay outside. And Peter's saying, listen, this man is not just a picture of a resurrected life that you also could have, but it's a picture, he's a picture of a refreshed life. He can know and experience 
God. The psalmist says that refreshment comes from the presence of the Lord multiple times. Psalm 16 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You go, oh, I want fullness of joy. I want pleasures forevermore. It comes in the presence of God. Psalmist says this in Psalm 84, for a day, just a day, in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather have the smallest, most obscure, most unimportant job, but in God's presence than I would to have the pick of whatever I would do anywhere else. Why? Because refreshment comes from the presence of the Lord. So what keeps us out of the presence of God? Well, one of the main things it says here is sin. Sin does. Right? Because right before this, here's what Peter says. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Listen, you cannot enter the presence of the Lord Unless your sin is blotted out. That word blotted out means erased permanently. It means wiped away. It means obliterated. Peter says, here's the main thing keeping you out of God's presence. It's your sin. Now, now remember, don't forget this. The people he's talking to were good religious people. They weren't doing all the, the bad sins that you'd think of. Or at least they hid them well, which is what religious people do. And Peter says, hey, you need to repent of your sin. Because your main sin is thinking that you can find fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore anywhere else except the presence of God. That's your main sin. And the one who came to give you joy and to give it to you to the full, you killed him. So repent. Turn around. Realize that it's only in Jesus that you can have resurrection. It's only in Jesus that you can have refreshment. Our sin keeps us out of the presence of God. There's a book that our family has come to love. Some friends recommended it to us. It's called uh, The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. It's a great kid's book. If you have kids or grandkids, uh, pick this up. Uh, And it's a great, great, great book. And it basically tells the story of the Scriptures and specifically highlights how Adam and Eve had been made in God's image and everything was good and everything was right. They had a relationship with God and when they sinned, that relationship was broken and God had to send them out of his presence because uh, he can't dwell with that kind of impurity. And so he cast them out of the garden and he puts these two warrior angels at the edge of the garden so that they can't go back in and the refrain throughout the book is, because of your sin you can't go in. Because of your sin, you can't go in. They're cast out of the Garden of Eden and they can't go go back in because these warrior angels will strike them down. Because of their sin, they can't go in. Then the book describes how generation after generation kept sinning and kept being, experienced all the brokenness of sin in the world. And then at some point, God instructed the people of Israel to build a tabernacle and to build a temple. And the temple was designed in such a way where there was the the, the main sanctuary and then there was this holy of holies, this inner place where the real glory and presence of God dwelt. And the high priest was the only one who could go in there and only once a year. 
And do you know what separated that holy of holies from just the normal holy place? It was a curtain. And do you know what was on the curtain? Do you know what was designed and embroidered on the curtain? Warrior angels, just like we're in the Garden of Eden. And the message was, because of your sin, you can't go in. You can't go into the presence of God because of your sin. Well, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the authors of the Gospels declare that he said, it is finished. And at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. What did that mean? That meant we could go in. Because of our sin, we couldn't go in. But now we can go in because of what Christ did. Because of Christ's sacrifice. Because he is blotting out our sins. He is obliterating our sins. You go, oh, I don't know if I don't know if God could do that for me. Yes, he can. And if you want an example of it, Peter's an example of it. Look at verses 13 and 14. We maybe just flew over these words, but they so pop out uh, if you understand Peter's story. Verse 13 He says, this Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy righteous one. If you know the story of Peter, you know that it was marked by denying Jesus. It's the same word that's used in the Gospel of Luke that that Peter denied Jesus. He says, listen, You all acted ignorantly. You didn't know better. But I walked with him for three years and I still denied him. And I still had my sins blotted out and I have refreshment in the presence of the Lord and you can too. Final thing that Jesus offers is restoration. Restoration talks about this in verse 20. That the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke. Jesus offers restoration. Peter says, listen, Jesus ascended. He uh, was received by heaven, but he is coming back. And when he comes back, he will restore all the things that the prophets talked about. Because listen, when Isaiah in Isaiah 35 said that the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the lame man shall leap like a deer, that was fulfilled for this one man. But the vision of Isaiah in the new heavens and the new earth is that every blind person would see and every deaf person would hear and every lame person would leap like a deer. So here's what Peter's saying. He's saying Jesus offers you personal resurrection and personal refreshment but he is also going to do cosmic resurrection cosmic refreshment all things new jesus offers resurrection and refreshment and restoration but he expects something else too what does he expect did you see it in this sermon he gives jesus expects repentance Repentance. You you don't just automatically get this. You have to repent. You have to turn. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back. You have to have a change of heart. You don't just automatically get your sins blotted out. You have to turn away from them and turn toward Christ. We we do a thing called the preaching collective with all the 
all the lead pastors and other pastors from within Redemption, all 10 congregations, a couple weeks before we preach any given passage. And when we preached this one, uh, when we were discussing this one, uh, Chris Amaro, our, our lead pastor at West Mesa, he said, when I, when I read this verse about uh, your sins being blotted out, he said, I think of when I was in elementary school. And he said, uh, you know, I went to an elementary school where they had this rule where if you got in trouble, the teacher would write your name on the board. And then if you got in trouble again, you'd get a check mark next to it. And then if you got in trouble again, you'd get another check mark and you had to go see the principal. Any of you have a school like that? And he said, there was this one day where I got in trouble and the teacher went up and wrote my name on the board. And I got up out of my seat and I walked up and I erased my name. And I sat down. So the teacher grabbed the chalk and she wrote, Chris, check. And he said, I got up out of my seat and I wiped it off again. And she grabbed the chalk again and wrote his name, check, check. And he said, I just got up and walked to the principal's office. But here's what he said. He said, I wanted my sins blotted out but I didn't want to repent. I wanted it wiped away. I wanted it obliterated, but I didn't want to admit I'd done anything wrong. I didn't want to say I was sorry. And that's many of us. Oh yeah, we want resurrection. We want a whole new life. We don't want to be so bound to our circumstances. We want to have a transcendent joy that comes from the presence and the refreshment of God. We want that, but it means we have to repent. It means the things that we hold on to, the self-sufficiency and the I don't need God for that and this is just my thing right now, that whole thing has to stop. It has to change. We have to have a a turnaround. and, and, And this is blessing. Look at the blessing of verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Listen. The blessing is no longer living apart from Jesus. The blessing is no longer valuing your sin more than your Savior. So we repent. We turn. You know the things in your life, the things in your heart, the things in your attitude, the things in your relationships. You know the things that are not bringing honor and glory to God. And you want those things to be better. Repent, turn, say, God, I'm sorry. I want to change. Will you resurrect me? Will you refresh me? Will you change my whole perspective? And God, would you maybe do far more abundantly beyond all that I'd ask or all that I'd think? Don't just give me a fresh coat of paint. Make me new. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for how you do make us new and how you grow and change us. And I pray, Father, that you would meet us here in this place now and uh, give us the refreshment that comes from your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.